Well, I'll come before you this morning uh, to preach on faith and uh, the power of Dayquil. So hopefully, bear with me if my voice goes out a little bit, or I may have to step aside to cough for just a second. I haven't been talking all morning, just so we could make sure my voice would make it through both of the services today. Uh, but it is good to be with all of you. It is good to be here on this Trinity Sunday. Uh, and this morning we continue our journey through the Psalms, as we've been doing since the beginning of the year. Each Sunday this year we're focused on a different Psalm and what its ancient message has to say for us today. This morning's Psalm, Psalm 8, is taken from the lectionary text, and you've just seen it heard and read beautifully through the video. Well, as we begin this morning looking at this psalm, uh, one unique fact that I learned that was very interesting and fitting uh, with its sweeping words capturing the beauty of God's creation from earth to the very ends of space, that it literally left the confines of the earth's atmosphere to go to the moon. In 1969, astronauts Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin, many of you remember this well, took messages from over 73 nations with them to the moon, all contained on a silicon disk that was left there when they returned to earth. Included in these messages was the words of Psalm 8, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. The words have been contributed by the Vatican. It's fitting that such words were there with them as the two astronauts took their giant leap out of the Apollo 11 lander and took in the vastness not only of God's creation of the earth, but also the far reaches of space. It's also unique for a few other reasons. One is that it's the first listed psalm in the Psalter in the book of Psalms that is written for music. It's the first hymn. And you can almost imagine as you read its words of praise and ancient people joined together in one voice and lifting up praise for their creator. It's also worth noting its unique place in the Psalter itself. Uh, psalm 8 comes after seven psalms which focus on things like suffering and illness and persecution and the threat of enemies, all of those things that even today strike at the core of human existence. Yet in Psalm 8, as we've heard read already, we find words of hope. Words that lift up, words of praise, words that do not beat us down or strike fear. Words that give hope and power to this human existence, regardless of what threats we may face. And so, with all of that in mind, I want to dive into Psalm 8 today, but I want to focus on two questions. One, what does the psalm teach us about God's relationship with us? And two, how do we experience and live out that relationship and God's presence in the world around us. Well, in verse 1, the psalmist kicks everything off with the bold statement I've already recited today, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. And if you have a Bible opened or you're, you're looking at a mobile device, wherever you're looking at the Scripture, you'll notice that this is not phrased as a question. There is not a question mark at the end of that statement. It's an exclamation point. This is meant by the writer to be a direct exclamation of God's presence at work in the world around us. The psalmist is saying if we desire to find God anywhere in the world, all we need to do is take a look around. God's name is evident in every aspect of everything that exists. In a quote often attributed to Martin Luther, the great church reformer, the idea is summed up well when it says, 
God writes the gospel not in the Bible alone, but on trees and flowers and clouds and stars. God's presence is all around us. It's known in the canyons and the mountains, the seas and the lakes, the grass and the trees, the moon and the stars, and on each and every human being who has walked and continues to walk and even sits in this room this morning. Scientist George Washington Carver, the inventor of peanut butter, as many of you know, and many other things, said this, I love to think of nature as an unlimited broadcasting station through which God speaks to us every hour, if we will only tune in. For the psalmist, for Carver, and in many of our own experiences, as we step out into God's creation and look around, God's presence is best realized when we stop and take a look for God in every atom of creation, the big ones and the small ones. It is, as it's often quoted here at Oakmont from the study Experiencing God, that God is always at work around us. But the trick is stopping to find out and look for where God is at work. Well, as we continue through our psalm, the writer takes a slightly different turn in verse 2. We begin with a bold, powerful statement that God's presence is all around us, yet by verse 2 we face what is arguably humanity's most vulnerable state, infancy and childhood. The verse says that praise comes out of the mouth of babes and infants, that God uses that as a bulwark, is what the NRSV says, but, but as a defense against anything that comes against God's creation. The psalmist is saying here that God's presence is still working and moving even in our most vulnerable states. God can work even when we may find ourselves weak or lost. God is with us no matter where we go, and God's presence can be realized even in our darkest of places if we are to just seek it. And the recognition that that we humans have moments of weakness, that we have moments of vulnerability, that, that we mess up, does not stop the God of all creation from wanting a relationship with us. In verses 3 through 8 of our psalm, we find our psalmist looking up at the night sky, at the moon, and at the stars, and seeing God's hand evident in every part of creation. And says that amazingly, God still cares for you and for me. More than just care, God, according to the psalmist, lifts us up and shares God's own power in caring for that creation. Yes, even though we may find ourselves sometimes weak, though sometimes if we admit it, we may not always have hope in our futures and in our outlooks, the God who set all of creation into motion still has faith in us. This idea is that the mighty creator God looks at us in our frailty and in our weakness and says, you are important to me. And more than that, I'm going to entrust you with power and purpose in my creation. God elevates us, those who, if we're honest, do not always do it well, to join him in partnership and caring for everything. And so what, is, what does this mean? What is the deeper meaning behind this? Well, I think the psalmist is getting at that if we truly worship God, if we, if we truly seek to grasp God's presence, if we truly seek to live out our faith in the world, we're not fully worshiping God if we ignore this partnership to care for all of God's creation. 
And it is a partnership. We cannot do it alone. Old Testament scholar James Lindbergh said this, To leave God out of the partnership invites disaster. Indeed, frightening signs of ecological disaster are all around us, from eroding soil or polluted streams to the possible depletion of the ozone layer. Psalm 8 is thus a reminder that the God-praising and earth-caring community are one. Lindbergh says that when we remove creation care from our worship, when we separate our regular worship of God from our call to care for all of God's creation, our worship is never full. And as we can see, there are already disastrous results all around us. To fully worship God is to care for all of God's creation. And know that, that this is a call that goes, just beyond, goes beyond just nature. It extends to you and to me, to, to all of creation, even those people around us that we might not want to care for all the time. God's call in joining and caring for all of creation and fully worshiping knows no bounds. And so if our, if our worship is tied, if, if we're worshiping God fully, worshiping the Creator fully, is tied to caring for all of creation, and, and we don't fully worship God unless we do so, what, what must we do to fully embrace the presence of God in the world? Well, I believe the best example we have is found in the Trinitarian presence of God. As, as Michael has already said, today in the church calendar year is Trinity Sunday. It is the Sunday where we focus on the presence of God, that God exists, and we sing and we preach about it in three beings, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I think if we're going to look for direction, if we're going to look for how it is that we live out a full worship of God in the world, how we partner with God in caring for all of God's creation, we have to look no further than the Trinitarian presence, than God and Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But I think to really fully grasp what each of those things teach us, we have to step back and look at them one at a time, individually, because each being has a different work and purpose in the world and in our lives. It teaches us something different. The first part of the Trinity that we would examine as we sing and as we list it out often is that of Father. For some here today, this is arguably the easiest part of God's presence for you to grasp. Your Father was a solid, steady presence in your life. When it comes to knowing things like grace and obedience and love and justice, it's your father, it's your dad who comes to mind as the person who first taught you those things. Understanding God as father is easy to do because the example of an earthly father or a stepfather is one that brings joy and direction for you. But for others in the room, this may be the hardest of God's presence to grasp. For some, the very idea of Father is not one you like to dwell on. The presence of Father in your life was not one that you would call even remotely full. Perhaps a Father was a non-presence in your life. Maybe for you, God as Father is a presence of absence and disappointment. You can't simply grasp this idea of a loving Father because you haven't had that example set before you. Well, regardless of where you find yourself in one of those groups, I think it may be beneficial and helpful to step back and look at this part of the Trinity and go with me for just a moment. As less as father and more as parent. You see, when we start listing the characteristics and attributes of God found in Scripture, we often say things like strength 
and might and sovereignty and obedience. All attributes, if we're honest, we often list under the term Father. Yet as we study Scripture, we would also list characteristics like grace and hope and gentleness, common attributes we give to the earthly term Mother. To stir the water further, as I listed some of those characteristics of God found in Scripture, you in your mind said, that was not lived out by my father, or that was not lived out by my mother, that was lived out by the other, or that was lived out by both. Both of those characteristics were found in both of my parents. And so I think this morning, for us to understand the Imago Dei fully, the image of God, and the understanding that we are created in that image, and that that image is in all of creation, we would be remiss to pigeonhole God into just the idea of Father in this part of the Trinity. Because it's evident in Scripture that God has qualities of both Father and Mother. To go a little further with this, Dr. Yolanda Adams, an associate professor at Princeton Theological Seminary, sums up this idea best when she reflected on her childhood. And where did she experience the presence of God fully in her life? And she says this, I was being raised in a household where I instinctively understood that the divine presence was manifest in the loving hands and arms of mothers, and most especially in the life of my grandmother who raised me. My grandmother's kitchen was a theological laboratory where she taught me how to love people just as naturally as she taught me to make peach cobbler and buttermilk biscuits. I watched and listened as she ministered to the sick and the lost with a Bible in one hand and a freshly baked pound cake in the other, despite having no official ministry role. I knew that if God was real, if God truly loved me as a parent loves a child, then God was also mother and not only father. As I, as I thought about this example, I've also thought about how I've seen this right here at Oakmont, right here in our midst, in the college ministry, as one of you, one of our church members, has worked hard to take the college students under her wing, as she has come in day in and day out to care for them, students who didn't grow up here, who, who haven't called Oakmont home forever, but call it home now, someone who has poured life into those students. Her name is Dee Roberts. Many of you know her, and if you see her between services, do not give away the fact that I'm talking about her because she doesn't know it, and she'll be here at 11. Uh, many of you may know her, the college students certainly do, as Nana. She would love if I would call her that. Um, but she has taken these college students under her wing. She's, she's nurtured, and she's cared for them. She sends them birthday cards on their birthday. She sends them thinking of you cards at certain moments through their lives. She makes individual care packages for them at exams. And, and this doesn't just mean the college students who show up here every week. I've seen college students who walk through the door of Oakmont one Sunday, and for some reason or another, maybe don't return. But she gets their address, she gets their birthday, and I'll get a, an email or a Facebook message from one of them six months after I met them. I don't really remember fully when I met them saying, Nana just sent me a care package. Nana just sent me a birthday card. And I just wanted you to let her know how much that meant to me. As, she's, as she sat at the free lunch table every week, and many of you have seen this, it's amazing to stand back and just watch as she pours love and life into the lives of the college students and to see their faces light up as, as they experience God's presence through her and to see her face light up as they do the same for her. 
If you want an example of what the presence of God, what the characteristics of God is like, you have to look no further than the nurturing, caring presence of Nana right here in our midst. Well, likewise, to the psalmist, God's presence is realized in that of a nurturing, caring, sending parent who cares for us and calls the same to calls us to do the same for those around us. It's what we do. We raise children and nurture them and guide them and teach them so that one day, whether we like it or not, we send them into the world to do the same for their own family and more than just their family, for every single person that they come into contact with, for every single person that they meet. And the psalmist says this is what God does for us. God's presence is realized in that God cares for us even when we metaphorically, of course, destroy the walls of creation with sharpies, trick our brothers or sisters to harm themselves just for the fun of it, break things and quickly point to someone else to blame. And even when we throw a tantrum or two and are downright mean, God's love, like that of a nurturing parent, knows no restrictions and is fully offered to us even when it makes absolutely no sense that we should be loved. Even when it makes more sense for that parent to pull their hair out, to push their kid out the door and lock it. We don't do that, right? We still say we love you and we care for you. And we have, even though it may be difficult, hope in your future and in your place in the world. If we, are, if we are to live into our call to care for all of creation, we must be willing to pour our love, our hopes, and our dreams into our worship and into the work we do. We must care for all of it, including our fellow humans, as a parent cares for a child. And we must be willing to face the disappointments and the joys that come as we do so. Well, if the nurturing, guiding presence of God as parent is one example of how we might answer the call to care for all of creation and to be the presence of God in the world, I believe the presence of God as son is just as important. The gospel story, I don't need to tell you, of Jesus is a powerful one. It's the idea that God, the parent, as a sign of the deep care of humanity for humanity that the psalmist describes, comes down and becomes one of us, one of the children so that we can find restoration and connection. God in Jesus is not just about death and resurrection, but us learning what God is truly like and how our partnership in this world works. You see, in the teachings of Jesus, we are challenged to follow God's example in being servants in the world around us, to be willing to go and to serve wherever we are needed. In the Gospels, Jesus is found time and time again serving those that needed him most. There was no bounds to where he would go to serve others. The walls of Jesus' ministry did not exist. And if we are to ever fully worship God, we will have to be willing to step outside our comfortable boxes and gracefully care for every aspect of what God has created, regardless of where and to whom that call may send us. And so if we worship fully by caring for creation, by going in the nurturing presence of a parent, and as a servant, as Jesus has taught us, do we do this alone? A partnership takes more than one person, right? It it takes God partnering with us, God contributing something. If God is going to partner with us, where is that contribution? Well, I think that answer is found in the third being of the Trinity this morning, the Holy Spirit. 
Another of our lectionary texts this morning is John 16, 12 through 15. And it says this. I have much more to say to you, says Jesus, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you in all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. How does God partner with us in this call that we've been given? Jesus promises us the presence and the guidance of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's a presence that will not only guide us toward the presence of God, but will communicate the love and grace and dreams of Jesus for this world to us. You see, when the psalmist says that humanity has been given dominion, control over the creation of God, Jesus promises us that we never walk that path of responsibility alone. The Spirit is continually guiding us to where God is calling us to go and to serve and to love and to nurture. And so if we continue with our journey from one Trinitarian being to another, from from father or parent to son to Holy Spirit, we come full circle when we consider the presence of the Spirit. Because in the examples of parent uh, and God as son, we find understanding and grace and hope. But it is in the Spirit of God that we find the completion of this partnership It is in the Spirit that we find ourselves never alone, that we find ourselves joined together not only with God, but with all of creation and with each other. God has called us to something big. God the Creator looks at us and says, You are important to me. So important, in fact, that I'm going to share my creation with you. I'm going to entrust its care to you. And the example of how we do this is revealed to us through the Trinity. God, as parent, teaches us to nurture and elevates us and then shares the responsibility with us of taking care of the world. God, as son, teaches us that we live out this divine partnership through serving, that we learn that we reign over creation as Jesus did as a suffering servant. And then the Holy Spirit goes with us and gives us guidance as we live out the image of God that is deep within each and every one of us. And we go and find that in each and every person that we encounter. And so, may we live into this great calling to care for all of creation. From the nature that surrounds us to those people that we have the ability to serve day in and day out. And may we do all of this remembering that we find example and care and partnership in the very presence of God who is moving and working in our midst. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. Amen. Well, we come now to a time of response, and there are a few ways that you are able to do this. One is through writing a prayer request card at the back windows that will be taken and prayed for by the staff tomorrow. And we we call each of those by name. We pray for those, uh, and we think of you throughout the week. You may also light a candle as a symbol or as a remembrance of a prayer or praise in your life. There are children's 
cards at the uh, front sides of the sanctuary for children to be able to also fill out interactively prayer cards. I will also be here at the front and will be glad to pray with anyone. But as we respond, may we remember that God is here with us. God is with us as, as God, but also as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that each of those beings teaches us something important. And may, as we respond, we remember the call that God gives us, that God uh, offers to us to care not just for each other, but all of God's creation. However you feel led to respond, you're invited to do no so now as we sing together. <laughs>